0: When God created mankind, He set boundaries on the first two humans, and they immediately crawled straight out from under it. And we have been trying to crawl out from under God's fence ever since then. As we come to John 18 today, we're going to see how the leaders of the nation of Israel tried to get out from under the fence that God built. And we're going to read kind of a lengthy passage and I want you to ask you, as we read it, to be thinking about what the Jewish leaders said and why they said it. Because we're really going to talk about kind of the underlying idea of, of why they said what they said. So follow along, John 18, we're going to start in verse 28. Then they led Jesus, that would be the, the Jewish leaders of the nation of Israel, they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. That the saying might be of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking this for yourself or about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth Here's my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews, and he said to them, I find no fault in him, but you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? they all cried out, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe, and they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again to the Jewish leaders and said, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this saying, he was the more afraid. The first thing that I want to note today as we think about this episode and the passion of Christ comes from verse 37. Pilate said to, to Jesus, Are you a king? And Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world. Here it is. Here's why he came into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who's of the truth hears my voice. The first thing that we need to understand today is this. Jesus possessed the truth. He said, I came into the world to bear witness to it. In other words, I am going to stand up and tell you what it is and demonstrate why you should believe in it. And if we ask the question, how did he know the truth?, We would look at verses like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14 of John 1 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. How did Jesus know the truth? He was there with God. In fact, if you read this verse quite literally in Greek, it would read like this. When the beginning began, that is the beginning of this world, he was already there with God the Father. Jesus was not created. He was part of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He was there. He knew the truth firsthand. Hebrews 1 says this, God, or God the Father, who at various times, in various ways, spoke in times past to the fathers of Israel by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. Jesus possessed the truth. He knew the truth. I had to testify in a very serious criminal court case one time. I was at a death scene that turned out to be a homicide with the police department and the detective, in following up, sat down with me and took a statement, asked me all kinds of questions, wrote a couple of pages of stuff. And he submitted his questions to the prosecuting attorney who in turn submitted it to the defense attorney and i sat down with the attorneys and they asked me all kinds of questions and then we sat in front of the judge and the attorneys and they asked questions and finally a day came when there was a trial and i was asked about that much (laughs) they wanted to know exactly what i knew firsthand only they were not interested in opinion or my you know professional whatever what did you hear What did you see? That's what we're looking for. Jesus had first-hand knowledge of the truth because he was with the truth-giver. And he was, in fact, part of the truth-giver. And he came into our world to reveal the truth. And so he says, I came to bear witness. How did he bear witness of this truth? Turn back a few pages to John chapter 3, if you will. John chapter 3, in that famous scene where Jesus is uh, interviewed, perhaps. John chapter 3, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. Now, the word Pharisee and the word ruler are two separate things, but it's going to become important later And in this episode in which we're looking at the passion of the Christ. The word ruler would mean he was part of a body of men called the Sanhedrin. And I believe there was 70 of them, and they were like the Congress of Israel, if you will. Um, the difference being that they would not only uh, perhaps uh, make law, but they would judge law as well. And so they were sort of like the Congress and the Supreme Court kind of rolled up into one. So he was a ruler, but he was also a Pharisee, which was a religious group that had certain beliefs. There were, within the Jewish uh, tradition, there had some groups arisen, and we see in the New Testament notably Sadducees and Pharisees, and they had a little bit different take on things. So he was a religious man, and he was a ruler, and he came to Jesus by night, verse 2. And he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs or miracles that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And uh, go down to verse 10. And Jesus answered him as they had this discussion, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? There's two things we need to get here. First of all, we need to understand what Nicodemus, what Jesus told Nicodemus. And I've just, I've just summarized that here from this chapter and from other teachings of Christ. He said, look, we are separated by God from our sin. God built a fence and we crawled straight out from under it. And that's what sin is. It's when we refuse to obey God and to stay within His boundaries. And so we're sinners, and that separates us from God. In order for us to be reconnected or reconciled to God, we need a new spiritual nature. Our sinful nature within us prevents us from coming to God. It needs to be removed and a new spiritual nature put within. That's the big point of John chapter 3. You must be born again. You can't just do a bunch of things. God desires this reconciliation. Look at John 3.16. I don't know if you've thought about this lately. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God desires to be reconciled with mankind. God didn't do it because He had to. He did it because He wanted to. The price of reconciliation is Jesus' death. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There is no reconciliation with God without our sin being removed. And our sin can only be removed if it's paid for, and it can only be paid for with the blood of a perfect sacrifice. The price of reconciliation is Jesus' death. And we must put our faith in Christ in order to gain the spiritual nature we need to gain God's kingdom. That is the point of this passage. He says, look, Nicodemus, here's how this works. You've got to be born again. And the only way is if you will put faith in Christ, put faith in the Christ who died on the cross. John puts it this way later. Excuse me, the result of our faith choice is eternal life. John puts it this way in 1 John, and we know that the Son of God has come and given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. If you're here today, and you've never heard that, or maybe never grasped it, maybe today as I made those points you went, you know what? That makes sense to me. If that is making sense to you for the first time, we would love to sit with you after church and say, are you certain that you're believing in Christ? Because if you're grasping this now, then that may be the day in which you really come to faith in Christ. God gives us an understanding. Do you see that? He has given us an understanding. The ability to understand what I just put on the screen comes from God himself through Jesus Christ. And if you're grasping that, that is a work of God, and you ought to be believing in Christ today. The other thing we need to understand from this passage is this. Nicodemus was a Pharisee and a ruler of Israel. And he came to Jesus and he said, Hey, Jesus, I want to talk to you. I want to find out what's going on with you. And Jesus calls him the teacher of Israel. And so my guess... and and I'm going to put this in the category of Dave's uh, theological speculation. I'm guessing he was the chairman of the theology committee on the Sanhedrin. You know, boards work in committees. I'm on a couple of boards, and they have a committee to work on different things. You have a finance committee, you have an academic committee, etc. I'm guessing he was sent as the guy from the Sanhedrin. They said, hey, Nicodemus, you're the guy that's reading the Bible all the time. Go over there and talk to Jesus and find out what's going on. And so he comes over and he says, Hey, Jesus, we know you have to be from God because you're doing these miracles. Nicodemus knew what we call the Old Testament well enough to know only a teacher from God could do that. And then he gets the rest of this lesson. What do you suppose Nicodemus did with that lesson? I suppose he went back the next day he came at night so nobody see what was going on. If he was an emissary of the Sanhedrin or of the Pharisees, he went back the next day and he went, Hey guys, here's what I learned. Here's what he says. Now it could be that he was too scared to even do that. Maybe he was inquiring for himself. But as time goes on, here is a, the teacher of Israel, the Pharisee and a ruler, who has the opportunity to share the message of Christ with others on that group. They were not ignorant of his message. Jesus communicated the truth openly and plainly, and here, particularly to a person in the leadership. He communicated clearly, and he also demonstrated the truth. One of the greatest demonstrations of the truth that Christ spoke about himself and the salvation of mankind was the event of raising Lazarus from the dead. I hope you'll notice some things as we go through this. Jesus said to them plainly, a lot well, of, there's some things that happened leading up to the death of Lazarus. But when he got to the tomb, he said, Lazarus is asleep. And they said, well, it's good for him to sleep. And he goes, no, Lazarus is dead. You guys don't get it. And I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there when he died so that, so that you might believe. Jesus did not raise Lazarus from the dead so he could have a few more days with his sisters. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. You messed up. You ever think God showed up late to your party? But even now, I know whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know he will rise again in the the resurrection way, way down in the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Do you see? He's declaring the message of salvation right in the midst of this miracle. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Here he comes and and declares this wonderful message of salvation in the midst of doing the miracle. And some of them said, not Mary and Martha, but some other people around, they're whispering to each other, going, couldn't this man who opened the eyes of the blind, couldn't he have kept this man from dying? See, not only is Martha saying the Lord made a mistake, but the rest of the crowd is going, he should have been here. And Jesus said again, groaning in himself. You don't make God groan, do you? Oh, well, we all do sometimes, I think. He was groaning. And he came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha said, Whoa, Lord. <laughs> By this time there is a stench, for he's been dead four days. You just want to go, Martha, what's the deal? You're over here saying, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. And now he says he's going to do something, and you're saying you're making a mistake. You're saying you made a mistake by showing up late, and now you're making a mistake by what you're doing. You just want to say, Martha, button it. (laughs) Jesus said, didn't I say to you (laughs) that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? This is always the big picture in our lives. Don't miss that. Whatever is going on in your life, God is in the business of getting glory to himself. Sometimes we don't see it because we're so busy fighting what's going on and we're saying, no, I don't want it, I don't want it, I don't want it. And God's going, didn't I tell you if you believe you would see the glory of God? And they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing around, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. In this miracle, Jesus has declared the truth. You need to believe in me. You'll never die. He's told the gospel. And now he's saying, I'm going to do this miracle so you know that I'm speaking the truth. He's he's real plain. Anybody who says Jesus wasn't real plain spoken hasn't read this. Now when he said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did... Believed in him. Jesus did this miracle so people could believe. And sure enough, many people believed. But not everybody believed. The Jewish leaders were also there. And they were not blessed. But some of them went away to the Pharisees. Some of the crowd went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council, and they said, what shall we do? For this man works many miracles or signs. And again, the word sign was an Old Testament word that said, I'm pointing to God. This miracle points to God. And they said, he's doing many signs. What are we going to do? If we leave Him alone, everyone will believe in Him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Do you understand that they never stood up and said, You're lying, Jesus. What did they stand up and say? They stood up and said, We're going to lose control God has built a fence and we don't want to be in it. They did not fight the truth on the basis of its falsehood. They fought the truth because they didn't like the truth. They said, if this keeps going, we're not going to be in control. Friends, if you're taking notes, write this down. This is the major issue for most unbelievers. It's not about the truthfulness of Christ. It's about who gets to be in control. People understand that Jesus isn't an accessory you put on like a beautiful ring or a watch that adds something to your appearance. Jesus is the Savior who either sits on the throne of your life or else he isn't a part of your life. Read the slogan on that bus. There's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. Guy in the middle is a guy named Richard Dawkins. The young gal on the one side is a comedian who apparently is participating in his campaign against God. Richard Dawkins is a famous atheist, if you don't know. Written some books. The most recent one, I think, is called The God Delusion Gal on the other side, I think, is the head of some atheist organization in England. And in the article that I read on the Internet, it said that this sign has been on 800 different buses. Or there's 800 buses. There was, at one point, carrying this sign around. Now, I want you to think about something, okay? There's probably no God. I don't know why he doesn't say, there's no God. (laughs) I guess because he's a true postmodern, and in postmodernism, you can't truly know anything you know, um, but in that sign there is a premise, and there is a moral. In logical reasoning, in philosophy, there's always a premise, and we always work toward a moral. Now, what's the premise? What's the premise in that guy's message? There probably no God. That's his. That's his starting point. The second question is, what's the moral? Paraphrase it. <laughs> Do whatever you want. Have a fun. Life. Have, a fun li- have a fun life according to your definition. You know, it's it's like they're saying, "I know God built a fence, but pretend the fence isn't there, and then run all over the neighborhood." Okay. Understand this, if you never have before. Modern-day philosophy, I believe, begins with the moral and moves backward to create the premise that supports the moral. Richard Dawkins does not want to be under constraint to a God raised in a Christian home, in an Anglican home. He's English, so we'd call it Episcopalian in this country. He's raised in a Christian home. To some extent, he was taught there was God, He went to a Christian school for at least a period of time. And he doesn't want to be under, he doesn't want to be in God's fence. And so he has created a system of philosophy, a system of arguing for what he defines as truth that puts God out of the picture. What I want you to understand today is Richard Dawkins is just the flavor of the month. Not a new thinker. He's trying to run from God just like the Jewish leaders were. You see, the Jewish leaders opposed the truth of God as well, and look how they did it. One of them, Caiaphas, being the high priest that year. This is still in the episode of of Lazarus. Now they're talking about how they're going to respond. Remember, they said, we can't leave him alone because everybody will believe. So what are we going to do? So Caiaphas, who was the high priest, said, you folks aren't thinking straight. Nor do you consider, nor have you thought about the fact that it's expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not, for the, not that the whole nation should perish. What Caiaphas is saying is this. If this guy keeps going, the Romans are going to rise up and revolt And so what we have to do is kill this man to keep the Romans from crushing us in this putting down of the rebellion. Now this he did not say on his own authority. What that means is God put the words in his mouth. Being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And this comes up again in our text in John 18. But from that day on, they plotted... To put him to death. Now, get something here. They didn't form a committee to have debates with Jesus to prove that his truth was erroneous. They just said, you know what? We don't like what he's saying. We don't like the fact that people follow him, so we're going to kill him. Okay? Does that seem like a fair philosophical argument? No. And what I would submit to you today is the same thing is going on. People don't like the message of Christ, and so they just want to stop it in any way they possibly can. They did not set up a committee to investigate his truth claims. And so what did they do? They said, we're going to have to destroy the truth. So back in chapter 18, verse 28, let's see what they did as they tried to get rid of Christ. Chapter 18, verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium. The praetorium would... Literally, it means the governor's house or the governor's tent. And so Pilate, being the governor over this part of Judah had a place where he stayed when he was in Jerusalem. He didn't live in Jerusalem. He probably lived in a place called Caesarea, where, which was the, uh, the Roman headquarters. But he came to stay here. So wherever he was, he was that, that's where it was, the praetorium. And it was early morning, but they themselves did not go in to the governor's home, the governor's place of business, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate sent word, then went out to them and said, "What accusation do you bring against this man?" And they answered, "If he were not an evildoer, we would not have brought him up to you." Did they answer the question? No. They just said, "Take our word for it. You should kill him." That is not intellectually honest. Now, the reason I'm trying to push you in this way today is because the folks of this world are going to push you in this same way. They're going to argue against Christianity primarily because they don't like the moral involved. And we need to be prepared to say, let's debate the issues, not just hate the message, The word of God for these Jewish leaders forbade bearing false testimony. Yet, in other gospel accounts, we find that they paid men to lie about Christ at his trial. They paid Judas to betray Christ. But when Judas brought back the money that they paid him, they wouldn't take it into the treasury because the law said you can't take money into the treasury that's earned in sin. You understand that? They said, Here, go betray Jesus. Here's 30 pieces of silver. And when he was overcome with remorse, he gave it back. And they said, No, no, that's sinful money. What kind of intellectual duplicity is that? They decided to kill Christ before they had a trial. Not only before Pilate had a trial, before they had a trial. They just came and said, How can we kill him? Let's figure it out. They didn't say, let's have a trial. If they'd had a trial, and they'd have presented their evidence, and their their accusation was, he makes himself out to be the son of God. But yet he proved that through his life, through his words, through his fulfillment of prophecy, so they knew they couldn't out-argue him, so they decided to kill him here as they come you know as they would come up to the governor's house they said oh we can't go in there if we go into the governor's house we will be ceremonially unclean and today is the day we have to be clean to eat the passover now where did that rule come from not the bible it came from a commentary on the bible based on certain assumptions about gentile homes god never said the jews couldn't go into a gentile home And so when we start to add up, what's their basis of truth? There is no basis of truth other than their own desires, their own preferences. The Jewish leaders were like so many people today. They picked from various idea sources to create a system that supported the way they want to live, which included living without Christ. If they had been honest they would have come to Pilate and said, you know what, Pilate, here's the deal. We don't like this guy. We want you to kill him for us. That would have been speaking the truth. But no, they came and tried to make stuff up and they had all of these these convolutions in their ideas. We don't like Christ's message, so we're going to get rid of it. If that is the path to a self-derived philosophy... What is the path to the truth? What is the path to true belief, true uh, relationship with God? Well, we've already looked at the things which Christ gave as the evidence of his truthfulness. He gave miracles and so on. We could just list some things. I don't know if I put them there or not. Let me see. I did not. Um Jesus, we would look at these evidential things and say Jesus was a real historical figure. He lived in a real geographical place called Israel. The people and nation of Israel have a real history as the Bible recorded and as secular history records. Since Christ finished his work and left the earth, the organism he created, his body, the church, has flourished and spread throughout the entire world in spite of repeated and significant effort to eradicate it. The Bible has continued to exist without change since it was completed hundreds of years ago. It is the most substantiated ancient document in in existence. The content of the Bible hasn't changed since it was completed. Countless lives have been changed by God through the new birth, just as Jesus said. Biblical Christianity is a faith system based in evidenced truth. It's not an unsubstantiated story, but it is a faith-based system. And the thing that I want you to grasp today most of all is this, the knowledge of the truth is obtained by faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. Get this verse. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen are not made of things which are visible. Those of us who have put our faith in Christ have been transformed by God and given the Holy Spirit. And when we read the Bible and we look at the world, we go, of course. But we have to admit when we're dealing with the world that we are in a faith-based system. Can I prove that there is a God who created the world? No. I believe it to be the truth because God has revealed that in His Word, and His Holy Spirit has helped me to understand that through my faith. Here's something, though, that I want you to get a hold of in regard to the rest of the systems in the world. Let me back up just a second. What God says is if you will believe, he will give you his spirit so you can understand all of his truth written in his written word. He doesn't say he will whisper in your ear something that no one else knows. He says he will help you grasp the truth that he's given in his word. Now some will immediately balk at this as though faith is the stuff of make-believe while other concepts are based in fact. This guy right here, believes that evolution is a scientific fact. Part of the outreach that we have coming in April will be a teacher who is a professional at sharing with you some of the scientific information to say evolution is not a scientific fact. You know what I read this week as I studied this passage and the the question of what is truth that Pilate brings up? There was a Christian teacher well-known. His name was Donald Gray Barnhouse. Some of you may have heard of him great teacher of God, uh, died in 1960, or I believe he died in 1960. And you know what he wrote in his commentary on what is truth? He said, everybody understands absolutely that the, the earth is millions of years old and man has been here for thousands of years. Any thinking person understands that. And I thought, oh, Donald, you should have lived another 20 years. He was accepting the scientific quote unquote investigation of his day, really over the Bible. It's really shocking for him because he's he's a well known biblical conservative guy. This guy thinks that evolution is scientific, fact based, tangible, empirical. The word empirical means investigation. If something is an empirical fact, I can investigate it. It's hard, and I can prove it, and so on. It's a fact. But you Christians, you have a faith. There is fact, and then there's faith. And what I want you to understand today is that the Jewish leaders strictly acted in their own way, based on their own ideas, with no basis in anybody's truth system. And that's the way this guy acts as well. Because when we talk about the scientific fact, (laughs) let me ask you this question. What concept of the origin of the world is based on empirical fact? Who was there? The origin and the continuing existence of the world has never been adequately explained by any human investigation. Right now, in, in, uh, I believe in the area of Lucerne, Switzerland, they have a hole in the ground 300 feet, or they, they built a tunnel 300 feet down, and it's a 15-mile circle, and they're going to send the atoms out in both directions and watch them crash together because they're looking for the God particle. That's what they call it. They say, something's holding us all together, and we're going to figure it out. And I would submit to you that they won't figure it out. They'll figure something out. They'll make some more statements. But you know what? Nobody was there when when the beginning began, except according to the Bible, God was there. And so this guy has a faith system. What knowledge of life after death is based on research? Now frankly and if you want to argue with me later i mean if you really want to see me get a little frothy come up and come up and tell me what a great book 90 minutes in heaven was because that fellow spent 90 minutes in heaven and he never talked to jesus quote unquote and i'm just telling you that guy did not go to heaven it is appointed on the man once to die and after that the judgment and there's no turning back there is no research done on what goes on in afterlife except by God Almighty. Whatever this guy thinks about eternity is what this guy thinks. One of the most famous philosophers of modern times was a man named Nietzsche, who advanced the thought that God is dead. And he created a philosophical picture of what the superhuman would look like. And he came to the conclusion that what happens in life is you do things and they're constantly repeated. Even after you die, they're repeated again. Where did he get that idea? What scientific textbook helped him to come up with it? None! He just thought it up! And yet when he says God is dead, it goes straight on the cover of Newsweek. Really? Where's his scientific proof? The greatest thing that's happened in modern philosophical days is this. Every one of them has disproved every other one of them. We are all living in a faith system. The problem is some of your friends who don't know the Lord haven't figured that out yet. And I want to help you to understand it yourself so that maybe you can help them. Everyone has a faith system. Colossians 2.8 says, Beware lest anybody cheat you, cheat you out of the blessing God intends for you, through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. There are two philosophies of life one is based on the principles of the world and the tradition of men the principles of the world is talking about physical investigation into the stuff of this universe and people are doing it all the time trying to figure out what's what and where it's going there are two philosophies in the world one based on on what can i figure out and what can i think up and how can i understand the world and there is a philosophy based on christ And they are both faith systems. I don't think they're equally good because the impact that Christianity has has never been touched by the other faith systems. I can still remember the joy of getting my first computer I went online and Googled a certain part that was in the computer, and it came up with the name of the computer, and I went, that's right, my Tandy 1000. Can I get a witness? Anybody else have a Tandy 1000? Yeah, yeah, all right, yeah. <laughs> when I bought it, I went all the way. Because it, you know, it only had the two floppy drives, and they call them floppy drives because they were really floppy, the little things that went in there. I got a hard card. A 20-megabyte hard card. Oh, yeah. And it was an expansion card that went in the computer with a little hard drive on it that had 20 megabytes of storage. Oh, man. Man, it was huge. I have a little chip that's no bigger than the end of my finger and, and you know maybe a sixteenth of, of an inch thick that holds several megabytes of information now in my phone. My phone does more than that first computer did, and I won't tell you what it cost because it was wicked expensive. We're living in a day of unprecedented change and progress in technology which tends to make us think that the stuff of life is new and the ideas about life are new, but they aren't. Is there anything of which it may be said, See, this is new. It's already been in ancient times before us. No matter what somebody brings to you about life, what you need to understand is that the philosophers of this world are limited by their own minds. And so their explanation of life is either without God or with. I hope you're a Christ follower. I'm following the same old, same old thing that a lot of other people have followed. And if you're following the latest philosophy, You're also following the same old, same old stuff that everybody's been following since Adam and Eve. May God help us believe his faith system. Heavenly Father, help us. We get oppressed and we get scared by the stuff that the world says about truth and about reality. But when we stop and look, we realize there's nothing that comes close to you. Help us, Father, encourage us, strengthen us for this battle over truth that goes on, that has gone on since Satan tempted Eve. Help us to see the the foolishness that just keeps going around and around in the world and help us to believe the truth and live in the truth and rejoice in what you do through the truth in us.